Afternoon, everybody. Hope that you had a very good lunch. Um, it sounds like you must have, because you've all come back charged with a whole lot of energy. Um, um, thanks very much for coming back to listen to the afternoon's proceedings. I think we've got a, uh, a bunch of really good speakers ahead of us and a, a bunch of really good sessions. So I hope that you find them as useful and as valuable as I expect them to be. I'd like to introduce to you our two following speakers, both of whom work for Sunlam. Um, Dani Fancel, uh, as well as Karen Wenzel. Uh, Donny has been part of an expert panel responsible for the design of the Sunlam Benchmark Survey for the Retirement Fund Industry and analyzing participants' responses since 2006. He is also involved in analyzing the impact of the South African national budget and regulatory reforms on the retirement fund industry. Donny has extensive experience in the retirement industry covering risk, annuity, and investment offerings. Donny is responsible for ensuring the success of Sunlam's life stage and smooth bonus solutions in the institutional market. He completed his actuarial studies in 2003 and was admitted as a fellow of the Institute of Actuaries in the Actuarial Society of South Africa. Donnie is also a CFP professional and serves on the investment committee of the Institute of Retirement Funds. Karen obtained her BCom Mathematics and Honours BCom Actuarial Science from the University of Stellenbosch. She qualified as an actuary through the Institute of Actuaries in London and Actuarial Society of Actuaries in South Africa. She joined the Sunlam Employee Benefits Team in 2008 as Head of Annuities, managing aspects of the Annuities Department comprising operational, financial and technical functions. Karen's understanding of the accounting, reserving and impact on capital requirements allows her to successfully develop solutions like customised asset liability matching strategies and new capital efficient annuity products for clients. During 2015, Karen obtained a postgraduate diploma in financial planning from the University of Free State and the CFP accreditation from the Financial Planning Institute of South Africa. Prior to joining Sunlam, Karen worked in the Health and Employee Benefits Divisions of Metropolitan. In addition to the impressive list of leadership accolades and, accolades and academic achievements that Karen accrued throughout her life, she is an ardent athlete and won the trophy for the fastest combined time for women in the Cape Argus Pick and Pay Cycle Tour and Old Mutual Two Oceans Ultra Marathon. That in itself deserves a round of applause. She, she was a Western Province Marathon team member, has completed seven comrades and 11 Two Oceans Marathons, as well as 13 Cape Argus slash pick and pay cycle tours. She's married to Rossi Wenzel and mother of three children, Cara, Peter, and Corbus, who keeps her busy when not working on running. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Dani and Karen will explore the idea of a default annuity further and will seek to unpack the options. They will discuss appropriate investment strategies leading up to uh, retirement and consider those beyond. They also intend touching on some of their own experiences with regards to default annuities and whether a fund could really only have one default for all members. Please welcome Corin and Donnie. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Now, Corin and myself was a bit worried about having the session just after lunch, so we're going to try and keep it interesting. We've also been warned not to have too many formulas in our slides, so we'll see if we can manage to do that as well. Now, an actuary and a pilot walks into a bar. Don't worry, it's not a joke. It actually happened a few weeks ago. And yes, it was during working hours, so it wasn't really a bar, it was a coffee shop. Um, the whole idea, I was meeting a friend who's a pilot, and given that this whole conference topic was, you know, top of mind, we started discussing it a little bit. And, you know, Actuaries and pilots don't have a lot in common, but we do have something, and that's preservation. We try and pre preserve people's retirement savings you know, and their wealth into retirement, and then they, apart from getting you from Cape Town to Joburg, also try to preserve your, your wealth. 
So flying lessons for retirement. This is Karim Marcel's take on what could be considered a quite a technical topic. And we titled it uh, Flying Lessons for Retirement because we wanted to give a different spin on it. And to explain this shift in a title, I'm going to tell you a bit more about my friend that I uh, met. And how this person who's a pilot outside the financial service industry could comprehend and you know, understand what was a complex issue in a heartbeat. I was trying to explain to him that in the last stage investment product, you normally get switched to a glide path towards retirement, and we're trying to you know, align the glide path with a person's annuity choice at retirement. He immediately answered, Ah, oh, so what you guys are trying to get is something like Vasi lights. I had no idea what that meant. And clearly, you know, we're used to our industry having a lot of acronyms. Um, clearly, the aviation industry also has a lot of acronyms. Now, VASI, for those guys who don't know, is the visual approach slope indicator. You guys are flying, have a look at the side of your runway, and you see a, a group of lights, either white lights or red lights. Now, the whole idea of these lights is to give you an indication of whether your slope of descent into, into um, landing is appropriate. If you have red lights over white lights, like on the screen, then you're all right, then your approach is appropriate. However, if you see white lights over white lights, your approach is way too high. You're going to not be able to, to land, and you're going to have to come around again and try again. And, you know, when you have red over red, and you have a bit of a problem, then you're way too low. Now, pilots also have some interesting mnemonics to try and remember these things, like if it's red over white, then you're all right. If it's white over white, you're as high as a kite. If it's red over red, you're dead. Yep, they keep it nice and simple. And, you know, if it actually makes a mistake, you know, it can hurt your ego. If a pilot makes a mistake, you know, it can seriously spoil your day. Now, he, my friend was beginning to get into this whole theme. He said, so what you actually want to do is you want to glide path per member as he leads into retirement to ensure that he gets to the runway. And he is now really on the rail as well. And when you get there, you still need enough momentum, you know, or perhaps in our case, income retirement, to get to the end of the runway. That's when the person actually dies. Now, what he explained to me is no landing is the same. You know, every landing is different because there's turbulence, visibility, changes from air traffic control. And as he was going through these factors, you know, it started relating quite nicely for me with us trying to adapt to market volatility, changes in interest rates, and changes in legislation and regulation. He then turned to me and said, listen, perhaps your job is actually a bit more difficult than mine. I said, well, why is that? He said, well, I only have to do one landing for 300 people on my plane. You guys have to actually have 300 landings for 300 people to get them to the retirement um, eventually. And, you know, he actually hit the whole thing on his head. This is something we've all been grappling with, how to have an appropriate default that's correct for everyone in the fund. Now, Something that get jumped into pilots, you know, when they're um, learning how to fly is a good landing stands a long way back. And that's really the crux of our presentation today. The planning needs to go in earlier in a person's working lifetime to ensure that his retirement savings is positioned on the right glide path to get to the runway and then have enough momentum to get you to the end of the runway the whole time. And it's not as easy as it seems. We as actuaries are used to telling young members, you know, you shouldn't worry about market volatility. If you have a 30 to 40 year time horizon, then market conditions now is not all that important. Market volatility is only important when you're actually going to be buying or selling an asset over the short term. But when you're retiring and buying a guaranteed annuity, that's exactly what you're doing. You're selling your retirement nest egg and you're buying an annuity in retirement. So it becomes really important if you're 
savings depreciate before you retire or the cost of a new that goes up, then you're going to end up with a lower retirement income and a lower standard of living. Now, for a long, long time, DC funds have been leaving this complicated choice and this problem to members. With default regulations hopefully coming in, soon these DC funds will have to have a default annuity option for members at retirement. And trustees will find there's a wide variety of annuity options that they can choose from. Now, to just go through the different annuity options and the factors that influence their pricing, I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Karen. I'm starting my presentation by reminding us what is currently on the minds of people when it's coming to the annuity space. We're looking at DB to DC, longevity, default regulations. We've heard about, about goal-based savings this morning life staging, and then we're aware of the increase in pension age, and then also members who want to be more involved in their own retirement planning. Begin with the end in mind. Um, Goal-based investing was mentioned earlier this morning, and this is a specific investment strategy tailored for a client's needs and then also for his individual asset pool. We want them to identi identify their own financial goals and then once all the financial goals are on the table, then to set appropriate timelines um, for those goals. Now, asset liability matching strategy will ensure that your investments chosen is in line for your specific goal. And hopefully, as Megan said, retirement is one of the financial goals for, for most people. And to, in, to ensure that this process is effectively, we need to take into account both assets and liabilities at retirement. Now, there's lots of risks at retirement, and the most obvious risk being market risk, as well as interest rates if you're buying a guaranteed annuity, and also longevity risk, replacement risk, or as Dean called it, the sustainability factor. Um, so that is that the pensioner's income in retirement will be able, that he will keep up with his cost of living. And then, covering all risks, annuity must still be affordable to all members. Now, as actuaries, we are acutely aware of longevity risk. And I was just reminded of that the other day when I've read this article about Joy Lofthouse. Now, Joy was a, one of the few only female pilots during the Second World War at age 22. Last year, she was given the opportunity to again fly the Spitfire after 70 years. And this year at Wimbledon, at the age of 93, she was honored as the oldest surviving female pilot. 93 year old, and she's still flying. And if you've missed it, have a look at the YouTube clip. It's actually amazing how she was honored. Now, what is causing this global epidemic of longevity? The factors are actually very simple. Something as simple as nutrition, and I think over time we will learn if banting will add it to this. Then also better control of diseases, more advanced medicine, um, and also a better lifestyle and environment. Something as simple as just having clean water. And then obviously also the availability of spare parts. It is actually shocking to know that the closest match for human heart valves comes from pigs. I'm not sure if there's a relationship. 
Um, and then these days with 3D bioprinting, you can even print your own heart valve at home. Longevity is a global trend. Um, you can have a look at the figures on the right-hand side. Then also, according to Time magazine, in one of their latest editions, they've mentioned that a baby lived today can live up to 142 years. Now, that's lots of techniques for regenerative medicine, stem cell therapies, a lot of things that they've used to base their projections on. But you don't need to do expensive research to know that longevity is evidence in wherever we go. Um, a 70-year-old 70, a 70 30 years ago looks much different than a 70-year-old today. And 75 is definitely the new 60. On many aircrafts, um, on top of the entertainment, that you, uh, entertainment value that you have for watching videos um, and listening to music, some aeroplanes also have a map of the airport for once you've landed. So you know exactly in what, which direction to head once you've left your airport. Wouldn't it be great if we can also have the same two members at retirement? Clear direction and clear steps for where they will be heading. Coming to annuity options, I'm sure a level annuity, a fixed escalation, an inflation-linked annuity with profit annuity and a living annuity needs no introduction to anybody of you. Um, everybody may maybe not be familiar with the index-linked annuity, but it's basically an annuity where the increases are defined in advance and linked to an, a published index, for example, the Orbi and the OC. Now I'm doing an uh, annuity analysis on all the different annuity vehicles um, using a robot system. So if you have a look at the level annuity, for the level annuity, no market risk, longevity risk, and it's also an affordable solution. But your level annuity income obviously don't take into account that your pensioner's budget will also increase with inflation. Looking at fixed escalation in an inflation-linked annuity, market and longevity risk will be covered. Um, and for an inflation-linked annuity, it will also maintain your purchasing power but that will come at the cost. Now, the main difference between an index-linked annuity and a with-profit annuity is in the covering of longevity risk. For an index-linked annuity, longevity risk is as with um, an inflation-linked annuity, your longevity risk is covered. And in a traditional with-profit annuity, your longevity risk is only partially covered. Looking at living annuities, Members don't have a problem with affordability. You simply just withdraw what you want. But red lights are flashing when we're looking at market risk and longevity risk. Now, the retirement trilemma is a phase that I've borrowed from Dr. David Knox, um, who presented at the previous Retirement Matters. And this is to describe the different risks and the different needs that actuaries, uh, sorry, that pensioners will have at retirement. They want good um, returns, but they want it with investment choice. They want protection of risk, and that is covering your market and lo lo longevity risk. And then they also want access to capital, and that is before and after death. 
And in the market, there's simply just no product that can cover all those risks. And on top of that, National Treasury published default regulations, um, for, and especially also for annuities, to assist members to retire more smoothly and comfortably. And so they've put in regulations in place that funds will be um, allowed to, uh, of, they will be regulated to put in a default annuity in place for a member when they retire. Now the criteria for this default annuity, your entry ticket is it needs to be a secure financial company, but then also the pension increases um, needs to be linked to something that's publicly available. So that will exclude a with profit annuity from the draft regulation. And then also no member commission must be paid. Now the reality is that one default may not suit everybody. Trustees are making decisions on behalf of thousands of people. But it's a bit like putting people in an aircraft. Some people will be in business class, some in premium economy, but the reality is most of the people can only afford it to be in economy class. If we have a look at the factors that affects annuity pricing, um, it's first your base mortality assumption, then also an improvement factor as we see people are living longer, and your interest rate assumption. That is normally a yield curve. And then the cost loadings, your administration fees, capital charges, expense loadings, and commission. Whatever the choice of the annuity body member at retirement, the volatility of pricing is a major concern, both to the individual and to fund actuaries. Um, on the graph, have a look at the volatility of price. So what I've done was 10,000 rand per month is needed for a male age 65. And then over time, plotted what it would cost to buy into these different types of annuities. You will see the inflation link um, bonds is only available from the end of 2006, so that's why the pricing starts there. And then for the fixed escalation and the level, the pricing was based on a nominal yield curve and inflation linked on a real yield curve. But in these days with the DC environment, um, members are much more aware of a fund credit that they've got. So if we assume that a male age 65 have 1 million available at retirement, the mortality assumption that I've used is PI90 minus 3, um, no improvement because I just want to strip out um, any mortality effects and just want to look at how yields have changed over time. Um, no initial expenses and in 25 rand administration fee per member per month. Um, the top four graphs, um, they're based on nominal yield curves and um, inflation linked annuity again based on a real yield curve. And you will see that annuity pricing is very sensitive for a change in yield curves. So a 1% decrease in nominal yield curves um, will increase the price of a fixed escalation annuity with 7.5%. If we look at real yields, um, inflation-linked annuity will cost you close to 13% more for a 1% decrease in real yields. Now in the same way as premium economy class 
addresses needs of members to offer them a more affordable and a spacious option for, for um, flying. Um, in our market, we've got a few hybrid or composite annuities available. That also will address more than one need from the retirement trilemma. So a member can have a living annuity up front and then later switch into a guaranteed annuity. Or at inception, buying a living annuity together with a deferred annuity and with a living annuity providing income in the beginning. Or the alternative is buying a term annuity for the first 10 to 15 years, withdraw the minimum rate from your living annuity, and then thereafter rely um, for income from your living annuity. Now switching from a living annuity to a life annuity. The question is, what is the optimal age or what is the optimal time to do the switching? So again, my same male age 65, for a 1 million fund credit available, buying a 5% escalation annuity, he can start with a pension of close to 98,000 rand per year. Now annually it will increase with 5%, so at the age of um, 70 you will get 120,000 rand per year. In comparison with the living annuity, I've also assumed that the living annuity was bought at age 65, and then the withdrawal from the living annuity, I've made equal to the income that I've received from the guaranteed annuity, and always check that I haven't exceeded the cap of 17.5%, but that didn't happen in the first five years. Um, so withdrawing, and then five years later, at age 70, I'm buying the same 5% escalation annuity for that member. So now at age 70, the member needs just over a million to get your same 120,000 per month as in your, uh, sorry, per year as in your guaranteed escalation annuity. Now the big question, what return is needed that we can afford this guaranteed annuity after five years? So we're solving for what return do you need to earn in your living annuity um, to be neutral to switch to a guaranteed annuity later. Now we know with increasing age, or also demonstrate longevity, you become a select life, and the cost of a guaranteed annuity is getting relatively more expensive. So if we look at the 5% escalation annuity, to switch after five years, you need to earn a return of about 14% in your living annuity. And that increased to 15 and 15.7% uh, um, after 10 and 15 years. Doing the same for inflation-linked annuity, um, we'll see that it's a bit lower. And if you wonder why it's lower, the reason is an inflation-linked annuity giving a lower initial starting pension. So you're withdrawing less from your fund. Your fund credit is higher, and you need to earn less on your lump sum to get you to your guaranteed annuity sometime later. So I've mentioned earlier that one default may not suit everybody. Um, the question is, what happened if you've got a fund um, with, a re with members with a replacement ratio of 30 to 40 percent? 
And that is, this is a case from a recent fund that we're consulting to. So one year prior to retirement, we've used their fund credit. Assuming that they will retire into the default annuity, that was inflation-linked annuity, and then calculate what their replacement ratio should be, would, would be if they retire into it. Um, and the replacement ratio was only 38% by having a inflation-linked as your default. So wouldn't it be better to just buy them a level annuity and let them ease into less and less income over years as inflation eats into their budgets than to buying them an inflation-linked annuity. So what we know till now is we know that one default is not suitable for all members. If you know you're going to switch to a guaranteed annuity, do it as soon as possible. And then also, you may not know what your default annuity will be at retirement. The reality is we still need to align our pre-retirement savings with the pricing of an annuity. And the market is quite volatile, which also will result in volatility of pricing. And your annuity option must still be affordable to members. I'm switching now over to Donnie, who will handle now the pre-retirement options. Okay, thank you, Gordon. So now while we've been looking at annuities, we're going to look at portfolios pre-retirement. Now we're going to focus on a crucial couple of years just before you retire. So not looking at a person's whole working lifetime. The whole idea is if your person's young, you should invest aggressively. But you know, as you get closer to retirement, then it gets more and more important how you are invested. And we ideally want to look at strategies that can reduce your likelihood of having a lower starting income. Now to do this, my team looked at a number of portfolios. We looked at cash, and I'm using the Steffi Index here as a proxy. We use as a nominal bond portfolio, and I'm using all base as a proxy here. Uh, absolute return portfolio, internal one that has a good, well, has a track record that goes back a couple of years. It's a CPI plus 5% portfolio. A smooth bonus portfolio with a track record that goes back to the 1980s. A balance fund, and here I'm just going to use a large manager watch median. An aggressive balance fund to just see if it makes a difference. You have a slightly more aggressive portfolio than the last month you watch. And then the liability index portfolio. Now, I've obviously deducted the guarantee fee from the smooth bonus portfolio, so it should be on a relatively like-for-like -like basis. So firstly, we ask ourselves, even though it's intuitive, obvious, but does it make a difference you know, where you are invested prior to retirement? And this is just a million rand at the end of 2002. And every month, we just roll it up with the underlying portfolio's investment return. And at the end of every month, we buy a fixed 5% escalation annuity at the yield curve that's applicable at that point in time. Now, you can see it's quite volatile. And there are periods when actually the, the starting pension you could get starts decreasing, for instance, during the 2008 crisis. Now, if you retired, for instance, in May 2016, you would have benefited from being in a visit in a sort of a balanced fund. You would have done quite well. But this sort of graph is very dependent on you know, when you actually compare. If I just roll it forward and start the whole graph just before the 2008 market crash, and if you invested in the LMW type portfolio, your starting pension would have been, what, you would have gone down from 8,500 to 6,500 just within a year, just due to market downturn. Obviously, in this environment like that, a smooth bonus portfolio would look nice because it doesn't provide negative returns. So, in analyzing you know, what portfolios are based for which type of annuities, there was a wide disagreement in our team about what is the criteria you should look at. 
and as there is wide disagreement in the industry as well. So some people felt, non-natural colleagues, that you just look at correlation. If your portfolio moves in line with the annuity pricing, then that's fine. Why do you need anything more? Well, that's all good and well, but it doesn't really tell you a lot about the difference in the gap between the pricing and the change in annuity price. Others felt that you should look at the pricing difference. So you treat the change in annuity from one month to the next cost as like a benchmark and you measure your, performance, your portfolio against it. So you can work out the average difference, you know, the range that the results fall into. You can even work out the tracking error, all those nice things that we as actuaries are familiar with. And that's all good and well if you have enough money saved up. If your nest egg isn't big enough, do you just want to track the cost of annuity? I would argue not. So you actually want some outperformance. And for that, we looked at the relative risk and return measures. Now, Corin had a slide earlier just showing the impact on the pricing of guaranteed annuities if you have a 1% decrease in, in either nominal or real yields. And we just stressed some portfolios to see if they are portfolios that we expect to correlate well with changes in annuity pricing. And as you can see, that for instance, Orbi does correlate reasonably well with a, a, a fixed 5% escalation annuity. And on the real side, our liability index portfolio, now, I think I need to just tell people about it. Not everyone's familiar with it. We actually run an actual portfolio for a number of years now where the, it tracks a, a benchmark, and the benchmark is at the cost of inflation-linked annuity. So it's set up to track the cost of inflation-linked annuity, and you can see there, when you stress the results, it does a fairly good job. Now, this is just stressing the, the bond like the assets in the portfolio. It doesn't tell you anything about our other assets which actually differ or change. So to do that, we're going to look at some historical results. And here's our historical correlation heat map. Now, what we've done is look at a number of portfolios against three types of uh, annuities and just see how well they correlate over time. Now, I must say, I've, the time periods do differ. I've tried to go back as far as back uh, as I could so for both a portfolio and annuity pricing. So it'll all be I could compare against a 5% escalation annuity all the way back to 1995. Inflation-linked annuities only go back until 2006. Now, as you can see, that Orbi does a reasonably good job to correlate with nominal-type portfolios, those with a 5% fixed guarantee, uh, or those with an index link, like um, Karin explained. On the bottom, you can see the liability index portfolio that aims to track the cost of inflation annuity. That's what it's supposed to be doing. It correlates quite well with the changes in inflation-linked annuity. Now, they're the ones that indicated in green. You can also see there's some red blocks in there. For instance, uh, both cash and a smooth bonus portfolio do not correlate very well. Now, this makes sense. You know, neither of these provide a negative return from one month to the next. So even if the annuity price becomes cheaper from one month to the next, these can't provide a negative return in order to correlate. Now, these are correlations, but you know, let me just show you what good correlation looks like for those that have forgotten. This is just all be against a 5% escalation annuity. When you have high correlation, it gives you this kind of result. It's sort of a straight line. The portfolio and the annuity pricing moves in line. But if we want to turn and look a bit more at the differences and you know, the size of or the quantum of differences between how the portfolio performance and how the annuity pricing uh, changes from one month to the next, you actually need to look a bit further. Now, I know this table has a lot of figures on, so I'm going through it quite smoothly. What we've done here is for a 5 pence fixed collection annuity just since 2003 is compare all the portfolios, work out what the average gap is per monthly basis between how the portfolio moves and how um, the change in annuity is, and work out the range that you see the results in, and also work out the tracking error. Now, as you can see there on the top line of Albi, that does a fairly good job as a lowish average price gap. Its range of observations is reasonably narrow and has a low tracking error, so I'd give it a tick. 
Um, if you go to the, the next best, the absolute return or the Steffi, yeah, they sort of do okay, but they have a, quite a worse tracking error than Orbi does. And as expected, you know, the balance funds, like either the last manager watch or a more aggressive balance fund, they have a very, very high tracking error. They have a very big average difference and a wide range of, you know, that their results fall in under. And this makes intuitive sense, right? These portfolios are mostly driven by equity returns and not bond-like returns. Now, if you turn to inflation continuities, this is just since 2006. Top line, Albi, you can see suddenly tracking error is a lot worse. Obviously, it doesn't track no, uh, changes in real deals all that well. Go to the bottom line there, you see the liability index portfolio. Its job is to track inflation and continuity. So you can see average price cap is reasonably low. You can see the range of results. It tends to overshoot slightly rather than undershoot, and it has a very good tracking error. The interesting ones there is actually the Steffi and the Smooth Bonus portfolio. Remember, they had very low correlations, even negative correlations. Well, you can have bad correlations and still have a low tracking error. Remember, your tracking error is this standard deviation of your differences. So if you have a portfolio that consistently outperforms, you can actually have a low um, tracking error. So, and that's what you see for a Steffi and a Smooth Bonus portfolio. Once again, a more aggressive balance fund doesn't really track these kind of annuities or changes in the price of annuity very well. Now, with profit annuity, you'd have noticed I didn't work out the correlation earlier. Now, this is the old traditional ones where you use a PRI after retirement and you just discount the PRI. So they don't change, you know, due to changes in yields um, from a month-to-month basis. So on this um, table, portfolios with consistent, stable, positive type returns will do well. And you can see that both from the Steffi and the Smooth Bonus portfolio Low gaps uh, and low tracking error. Now, some of you might look at those slides and you know nod in agreement because you know it confirms that you're already telling your your clients. But I would like to disagree. Very few members have enough money saved up for retirement that they can sit back and just try and track the cost of an annuity over the last few years. If you have a 40-year time horizon, then you get half your investment returns in the last eight years. You know that's a, that's a lot of money, and you need to ensure that you get a reasonable level of outperformance in order to get a high income in retirement. At the same time, many members will argue that you know, maximizing your returns and maximizing risk isn't all it's about. They're also worried about downside protection, and here downside is relative to the change of annuity, or the price of annuity. So returning to my aviation analogy, you can't just go in and switch the engine off and glide onto the runway. No, you still need to have enough thrust to get you to the runway and then enough momentum to get you to the, you know, to the end as well. And just as the Vasi lights give you, or the pilot, you know, an indication of his relative slope that he's coming in, either to high or to low, so you need to consider relative um, outperformance and relative um, risk. So what we're aiming to do is look at relative risk and return over a three-year period, a rolling three-year period. Now, we picked a three-year period just because in most life-state solutions, you transition into the final phase over a couple of years, five or six years. So you're only really in the last phase for like a, a three-year period. Now, first, we're going to look at your cumulative relative um, return. So it gives you the thrust to get to the runway. And we're going to work out the portfolio's cumulative return and then deduct from it the change in, cumulative change in annuity pricing over that period. So yes, you want this to be positive. You want outperformance. And it's only when you actually have relative outperformance that you can actually increase or allow a member to get a bigger income in retirement. At the same time, we're going to look at relative risk. We work out your standard deviation over a rolling three-year period, 
less standard deviation and changes of annuity price over the same period. And we want this to be negative. We want it to be less volatile. You need to reduce the likelihood that you know, you're unlucky and your retirement date falls in somewhere in the three-year period where the portfolio just happens to underperform the change in annuity price. Now, we had to think of a nice framework we can show to members, or especially trustees, and to explain it to them visually. And for those who you know, read Bowles' paper on performance measurement over time, you guys will be familiar with the whole idea of a snail trail. You plot all the observations and you link them over time. And as I said, you want to be, have relative outperformance but relative less risk. So you want to be in your top left-hand quadrant. Now, returning to the Vasi lines, this is like having red over white. You know, you're on track, you're doing well. If you're on the top right-hand corner, yeah, you, you have outperformance, but you also have relative more risk than a change in annuity price. So that is like a white over white lights. Where you don't want to be is on the bottom, having relative, you know, underperformance. That's like having red over red lights in your debt. You know, as you get closer to retirement, your starting income is actually decreasing. Now, in order to do this and uh, make you guys follow as well, I'm only going to show the portfolios that can have divergent type of results. If I plot all the portfolios on there, it'll more, be more like an ink blob rather than a snail trail. So this here, here I compared for a 5% installation annuity. Now, what I want to focus on first is the gray one in the middle. That is the Albi. We saw the Albi track, you know, a 5% installation annuity quite well, and we can see him doing it. You know, low relative outperformance, lower risk, but that's exactly my problem with the Albi. It tracks too well. It doesn't give you the outperformance you need. Go to the red one. That's your last mention. What portfolio? Yes, there you have the output, relative outperformance you need above the changes in the 5% escalation annuity price. But the risk swings from positive to negative and into positive again. If you look at the blue one, sale trail, there you see the smooth bonus portfolio. Similar sort of level of outperformance, but with much low, uh, lower relative um, risk. Now, if it turns, for instance, to uh, inflation-linked annuity, this is just in 2006, and here are four portfolios. Remember, liability index portfolio, the one that tracked the change in cost of a uh, inflation annuity, that tracked fairly well. And you can see how the green results are all clustered together. So it tracks fairly well, relative a little bit um, outperformance and a little bit more risk, but it doesn't give you the outperformance that you need. If you look at the red line, the last mentor's portfolio, yes, there you get the outperformance that you need to get a high income return, but once again at a very high levels of risk relative to the change in annuity price. The, all, the, the, the absolute return portfolio, one in yellow, yes, gives you a bit of outperformance, but once again, the relative risk switches from positive to negative. On the left-hand side, smooth bonus portfolio, relatively outperformance over time, but also relatively lower risk from one month to the next. Now, where this portfolio was penalized, for instance, when you work at correlations, because of it as an asymmetric type return profile, here it actually pays off, because you have consistently smooth and consistently positive returns. Now, if you look at it with profit annuity, now remember, here it doesn't change from uh, due to changes in the yield curve, so no portfolio actually was in the top left-hand quadrant. If you just look over time, once again, go to the red one, the last mention watch, here you have quite an, a bit of outperformance, but a high level of risk as well. Even the Albi provides you with a little bit of outperformance with much more risk. The only two portfolios that got anywhere close to the left-hand quadrant, and they didn't even get there, was cash and a smooth bonus. And cash gives you very little um, relative outperformance. So what was our end result? Well, it depends what you want to do. I hope I've shown you that if you want to either track the cost of annuity and something like that, different portfolios do it different, 
don't all do it as well as the other. And for different types of annuities, you need different portfolios. And you need to decide in advance whether you're happy with just tracking the cost of annuity or you want to get rid of outperformance. The two are very different. It's like chicken or beef. They both may taste the same when you're flying, but remember it's, um, <laughs> when a member is approaching retirement, it can make a sizable difference, you know, whether you're aiming for high correlation, low tracking error, or relative return. And if you just look you know, at different portfolios, for a nominal time portfolio, the Orbit does very well. It has high correlation, low tracking error, but it doesn't give you relative uh, outperformance. The same happens for the liability index portfolio for inflation-linked annuity. If you're actually looking at relative performance and lower relative risk, this might surprise a lot of people, and I'm sure we can have a lot of debate about it afterwards, the one portfolio that comes out for a variety that consistently gives you relative outperformance, consistently gives you lower relative volatility for a variety of annuity options is actually a smooth bonus portfolio. And it's because of that whole smoothing approach. The second best was the after return portfolio. That actually gave you a lot lower um, relative outperformance and um, a, lot, a lot more risk. So, and as Gordon has shown you guys as well, one annuity might not be appropriate, you know, default annuity for all members. If a fund, for instance, wants to give members a range of annuity options, then ideally you need to look at the portfolio that does reasonably well at a, at a whole lot of scenarios and in a range of different annuities. And there's very few portfolios that can do that. So, what are flying lessons for retirement? Firstly, Corona showed, one default annuity might not be suitable for all members in the fund. And once you've decided on a default annuity, you can't just stop there. You need to go back and re-look at your investment strategy pre-retirement and align this with your annuity choice at retirement. And if you're buying a life annuity, do it as quick, don't delay, do it as quickly as possible. Now, we think also that you need to decide whether you want to focus on correlation and tracking error or whether you want relative outperformance and relative lower risk. The two are very different and it gives very different results. Our view is a few members can actually afford to sit back and just aim to track the cost of their annuity. And lastly, and I think this is an issue for a lot of us, cash is not king. If, you, if the intention is really to buy an annuity, then why put members in cash before they retire? It's, if you want high correlation, low tracking error, or even relative outperformance, there are better portfolios out there. Different portfolios for different needs. Cash did not meet any of these needs. Now, I think that my meeting with a pilot was quite fortuitous, and I think he made me think about the whole landing platform and how you get to retirement in a very different way. But there's one thing that stuck with me, and there's a saying amongst our pilots. You get old pilots and you get bold pilots, but you don't get old and bold pilots. Thank you very much. Thank you, Donny. Thank you, Karen. That's an excellent presentation. Um, I think we've got, we've got some time for a few questions. Um, could I open the floor up for some questions? Probably about three questions uh, before we move on to the next presentation. Okay, no questions. <laughs> it seems as though you guys covered it all. Yeah, I think it was covered all. Um, certainly a lot of work has gone into this presentation. Um, uh, I'd like to, on behalf of the Retirement Matters Committee, thank uh, Dani and Karen for the extensive effort they put into putting the presentation together. You can see that a lot of thought has gone into it, a lot of research and uh, development, and uh, certainly as a profession and as an industry, we're very appreciative of all the work that you've come to share with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you.